uh, this is Skip Lockwood, and you're listening to Mets Musing. I was a pitcher, a relief pitcher, a closer with the New York Mets. I have a new book out called Inside Pitch, Mets Musing. Thank you very much. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello, welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. Well, I hope you had a better week than the New York Mets. Mets went four out of nine on the road trip, four and five, and that looks good now compared to what happened when they came home and got swept by the Atlanta Braves. This Braves team's a lot better than what we thought. They're going to be uh, a tough team as we go forward. They've got a lot of youth and a lot of good young players. So they are going to be a force to be reckoned with as we go forward. So uh, keep an eye on the Atlanta Braves. This could be a three-way race, a four-way race now. If Washington starts getting hot, if the Mets can get themselves together, if the Philadelphia Phillies can keep playing the way they have been playing, going to be an interesting year in the NL East. And, uh, you know, it's going to be tough. We thought it was going to be the Mets and the, and the the Nationals, and look, it's the uh, Phillies and the Mets and, and the Braves so far. And the Nationals are struggling. And right now, the Mets are struggling. Struggling big time. They got some good news in that Jacob DeGrom, who left last night's game with an extended right elbow, a hyper-extended right elbow, is uh, okay. No ligament damage. The MRI and the examination uh, showed everything's okay, and he will prepare to pitch for his uh, next assignment, which would be Monday evening. So uh, that is good news as far as the Mets are concerned. That uh, their pure ace is okay. But uh, this team is struggling right now. They don't hit. There's a, literally a black hole at the end of the lineup with the uh, Rosario, the catcher, whoever it may be, and the pitcher hitting. There's nothing coming out of that. That's got to stop. Mickey Calloway, you got to break up that lineup, my friend. You cannot continue to leave those three hitting together. Rosario is struggling. Try him at the top of the lineup. Or put him back to ninth. The catching situation is pathetic. And I'll get into that a little bit more, a little bit later. We we have a really big show, lots of stuff. So I don't want to take a lot of time, but because uh, there's a couple of voicemails I want to get to, and I think they kind of sum it up, especially the second one. But uh, something's got to be done here. 
let's go to the voicemails right away and and play that and uh, get that on and we can answer the questions maybe better from there. The first one is from Jerry in Long Island. Long Island is well represented tonight. Two voicemails from Long Island. This first one is from Jerry. Hey, Gary. This is uh, Gary from Long Island. Uh, I wanted to know what what Kid Alderson and uh, and Callaway do about the current struggles with the, with the team regarding their hitting and their and their pitching staff. Thank you. And thank you, Jerry, for uh, calling in. Uh, as far as what can Callaway do, he can get them prepared. He can make out the lineup and get the guys out there. That's about all he can do at this point. He's got to play with the guys, the hand that he's dealt. And uh, Alderson's got to go out and do something. They may want to consider shaking his team up. There's a couple of different things that I think they can do. Uh, first, I think it, it, the Jose Reyes time here is over. I think Jose Reyes should be uh, released. I know a lot of people, he's very popular and uh, don't like that idea. But let's face it, he, he's done nothing for this team. And uh, he, he's becoming a liability both on the field and all, and and um, defensively and offensively is what I meant to say. So I think Jose Reyes has to go, and I think we have to bring up either uh, uh, Cicchini or uh, Evans or somebody to take his spot. That would be one move I would make to start. <sighs> the Harvey situation. I don't know. I'm at a loss with this guy. He don't seem to get it. He went out partying in L.A. when they were in San Francisco, went to a uh, restaurant opening. Uh, he rejoined the Mets. Pitch, didn't pitch great. Give it, gave up a home run and a walk the next day. Um, I don't know. One, one report was from a source that said he had to sit down at one point. He must have been so desperate to party. He came up from San, San Diego. He was at the opening stumbling around. Another source said uh, he was sober. So you don't know. He's just a uh, weather vane, if you will, for reporters and, and uh, things like this. So best to stay away from it but he likes that kind of limelight and and look his pitching has been horrible he, he gave up five runs today it was like batting practice i'm not even sure he can pitch on this level anymore truly uh i don't know whether he would approve going down to triple a i don't know I, I i think you've got to hit this guy with an ultimatum either he goes to triple a or he's out. And then you have to follow through on that. You have to release him then if he says no. Let him become a free agent. I can't see him getting a major league contract from anybody. He'll get a minor league contract perhaps by some team. But I can't see it happening. Either way, he's gone from the Mets. They can't trade him. 
So it may be time to start breaking up small pieces. Not giving up, but breaking up small pieces. Another thing I would investigate is I would talk to the Phillies or the Giants and uh, look to trade somebody like Familia for their draft pick. San Francisco will be drafting number two, Philadelphia number three. Philadelphia might feel they can make a run at the wild card. I want to build the farm system. It's not giving up. We can still we can find a closer in there. Maybe Jacob Reigns can close. Maybe Seawall. We can find somebody that can close. And uh, maybe it's time to move Familia to get that draft pick to get us more uh, higher number. That would be if you could get the two or the three pick. That have then have two picks in the top six. That would be very good for the Mets and for the future down the road. So uh, that's something to consider. All right, let, let's go to our next voicemail, and that is from Jeff on Long Island. Hey, Gary, Jeff from Long Island. How are you? Uh, just want you know, after such a positive first couple of weeks of the season, the team is now in a funk, going six and eleven in its last seventeen games, and are now seventeen and twelve. Still, if anyone told you the Mets would be 17-12 and 12 after 29 games, we would take it. However, as well, as well as they looked in the beginning, that's how bad they look now. Games started by Syndergaard and DeGrom are expected to be wins. Yes, Syndergaard has not won in several starts, and DeGrom pitching great, but dodged a bullet yesterday with the injury. Let's hope it's not serious and they'll make his next start. But when the Mets don't win games started by Noah and Jake, there's going to be trouble. The offense is just not there, and they don't even try to even try to manufacture runs. Always hitting into the shift and such, relying on the home run ball. Of course, there are too many strikeouts in baseball, but the Mets really need to contribute to that. Put the ball in play. The catching is abysmal. I know no one's really available, but what can they, can't they at least try? Sandy, ask the Rays about Ramos. What would it take to get Salvador Perez? The Royals aren't going anywhere. Yes, it's only May third, and it's still relatively early. You can't get swept, but you can't get swept by the Braves, a division rival. Vargas looked terrible. For someone who was insurance, he was just adding fuel to the fire. But it's still early, and let's not forget, a few short years ago in 2015, the Mets were the worst offensive baseball and took off right after the All-Star break. So let's, as you say, keep the faith, stay up the mystic, and let's go Mets. And thank you, Jeff, so much. You saved me from... Uh... Uh, doing the rant today, tonight. <laughs> uh, well said. Well said. I can't, I can't disagree with anything that you've said, Jeff. Catching is abysmal. I, you know, talk to Kansas City. Give Oakland a call for Lacroix. Uh, what about uh, um, Wilson Ramos in Tampa Bay? Maybe they get rid of him. Uh, maybe Miami, but with Real Muto. Give them a call. See what they're looking for. We have some lower-level uh, prospects that are very high prospects that maybe we could put together some sort of package. I think I said this before. Maybe a Justin Dunn. Maybe an Anthony Kay. Um, maybe a David Thompson. Maybe a Dominic Smith. 
I'd like to hang on to Peter Alonso, but if you're not going to play Smith, if you've lost faith in him, maybe you can move him and use Peter Alonso at first base. Or maybe you want a Peter Alonso use in a deal. I hate to lose him, though. He's a good guy and um, uh, a good player, and he's off to a great start. And we talked to him on episode number 304. But that's besides the point. Anyway, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for the call. Great point. Sandy, you got to do something. We... You're right, Jeff. 17 and 12, we would have paid for that 10 times over. But it's how they got to that point. As you said, they were so hot, and now they have been so awful. And the offense is just terrible. And I'm with you. Put the damn ball in play. I do not understand this game today. That they, with this stupid launch angle and velocity and hit everything in the end, strikeouts don't count. What are you, morons? The game is never played that way. You put the ball in play, something can happen. The Mets were doing that when they won the first, first part of this season. They were putting the ball in play and kept the line moving. Now it, it seems like they panic. When they can't, it's, it doesn't work, and then they, they want to hit. Everybody wants to hit a freaking home run. And I'll tell you another thing. The home run is great to watch, and people like excitement and everything. It's going to ruin the game, though, because people are going to get tired of the home run. There's going to be too many home runs and too many strikeouts, and that's all you're going to have. It's going to be feast or famine. You're going to have a team hitting home runs, and it, and, and they're going to strike out. And that's all you're going to put on a game, and all you're going to see is guys striking out and home runs. Strikeouts and home runs. Strikeouts and home runs. And they're going to kill themselves. They'll kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Because when it comes down to it, baseball fans want to see a baseball game. We want to see a hit and run. We want to see a guy take an extra base. We want to see steals. We want to see bunts. We want to see some strategy. And we're not getting that anymore. When's the last time somebody executed a great hit and run? And I know all of this. The, the analytics is going to kill this game. It's going to kill football. It's going to kill any sport that uses it 100%. Because it's going to make it mechanical, and you might as well go on your computer and play a game in. Because it, it, it's that's what they're doing. They're only putting live people up there. So I, I, you know, and and they don't get it these teams because the last couple of years, even Houston, very analytical, but they even said you have to go by your. Your, the manager said after winning the World Series, he had to use his gut a couple of times and go with his feelings. Theo Epstein said two years ago when the Cubs won the World Series that he realized that chemistry plays a large part in it. It's not all analytics. And yet, we want to go by the book all the freaking time. 
This guy's got to hit number two because the numbers show blah, 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 blah. How's those numbers working now? When's the last time Billy Bean went anything out in Oakland? Analytics stink. And and you could show me dozens of numbers and dozens of numbers and, and I'll take some manager that goes by feel and by the seat of his pants anytime. Anytime. There's a place for it, but it is not the end all and be all. And that's what some of these organizations are doing. And it's a big mistake, I feel. So, I'll get off the soapbox. We'll take a break and we'll come back with an interview that I pre recorded last evening with uh, a uh, uh, podcast host from uh, Colorado. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the internet today about their teams. But it always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. With us, we'll help you get a PhD in life through baseball. With BaseballTalkRadio.com, you'll hear the rest of the excellent universe of baseball podcasts. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line leave us a comment or a voicemail question anything at all call that number 516-619-6341 or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen and that's a speak pipe and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings. And the Twitter handle is at metsmusings1. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. I'm joined tonight by Tyler Morn. He is the co-host of, now hang on to your hats for this one, the Purple Dinosaur Podcast. It's a Colorado Rocky podcast, and uh, they're affiliated with Purple Row blog site. So, uh, Tyler, thanks for coming on. Welcome to Mets Musings. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Tyler, explain to me before we get started a little bit about the name. Yes, so uh, the Colorado Rockies mascot, Dinger, a giant purple dinosaur, is kind of a, uh, he's a well-maligned figure in Denver sports. He, he takes a lot of abuse from, uh, especially, you know, the, the hot take crowd in the Denver sports radio community is just being a terrible mascot, et cetera, et cetera. So I figured, uh, man, 
five seasons ago now when I started up the, the Purple Dinosaur podcast that I would name it something that would infuriate all of the football first people in the uh, in the Denver area media. And so the Purple Dinosaur podcast was born from that. So uh, and the, the story behind Dinger, the mascot actually is when they were building Coors Field, they found a bunch of dinosaur bones on the construction site. So there's a fun oh. fact. If anybody ever asks you about Dinger, now you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Colorado Rockies. Uh, we all know the uh, air is thinner and all of that stuff, but um, they've been playing some decent ball this year. Had a really terrific year last year. A little out of the the blue, they came and uh, eighty seven wins. Um, what's the buzz out in Colorado for this team this year? You know, I think most everybody feels like this is a playoff contention type of team. And um, even though Arizona has started so hot this year with the Dodgers losing Corey Seager and all the challenges that that brings, I think the Rockies believe that they can win a division title. They've never won a division title in franchise history. They've been to the playoffs five times, uh, but they've never made it uh, via anything other than a wild card. And so um, this is uh, a year in which I think it's the beginning of a window of contention for them, but I think they feel like it's it's now or never. This stretch with these maybe three, four seasons with this core group of guys is really one that they can kind of hang their hats on as being a defining era in, uh, in franchise history. So, um, you know, they've started off decently. They're 17 and 15 um, hitting the road to New York from Chicago. They just won a series. Uh, over the Cubs on the road, which is good because they lost the series to the Cubs at home. And, um, you know, they're a team that's two games above 500 without really anything going extraordinarily well for them so far. The offense has not been great. Starting pitching has been really good over the last week or so, but even that has had some shaky moments. The bullpen's been shaky at times, so they have far from been playing their best ball, but they're still two games over 500. Yeah, and it, and it seems like there are a lot of teams that are getting off to this kind of start, and I don't know what kind of weather you've uh, you've hit so far, but uh, it it's been awful here in the Northeast, and it's finally you're going to come get some nice weather this weekend. So thank goodness. Uh, but uh, it's been a very strange year everywhere. It seems like yeah, it, it's just been a terrible, terrible spring. But uh, hopefully that's behind us, and we can get on and get an idea about baseball. Um, and of course, the big thing out in Colorado is the starting pitching. It's a tough place to pitch. I mean, let's be honest. With the thinner air, even though the humidor and all of that stuff with the baseballs, but um, they seem to be trying to, to emphasize that and put together a nice little staff. Yeah, and they've really been doing it on the strength of all homegrown guys. I mean, everybody they've gotten in the rotation over the last year and a half or so, it seems like, has been uh, a homegrown product, whether a draft acquisition or somebody who's acquired via trade while they were still coming up in the minor league system, in the case of somebody like Herman Marquez. And that's kind of the way that this franchise has really decided it needs to build starting pitching because you're not going to get preeminent free agents to sign in Colorado because of everything that goes along with pitching in a hitter-friendly environment. Um, so it's been the way that they have wanted to build it, and it's been working so far. John Gray is the kind of the poster child of it at this point, um, being the third overall selection back in 2015, and a guy who really the Rockies feel like has – frontline ace type of stuff. I mean, maybe not Clayton Kershaw, but he's going to be on that next tier when he eventually hits his ceiling and is really over the last 
two outings especially has really shown that for them. But even, you know, somebody like Tyler Anderson, who was a first-round selection, he pitched today in Chicago. Um, he was a first-round pick. Took a little bit longer to get to the major leagues than somebody like John Gray, but another first-round pick that they cashed in on. Kyle Freeland was a first-round pick. He's a Denver native, uh, and you guys will see him in the Mets series. They cashed in on him. Chad Bettis is a second-round pick, uh, and it's kind of the old guy of the group. I think Chad Bettis is only 29. Um, and then they got Herman Marquez, who's a, a prospect who really – when he came over in a trade with Tampa Bay a few years ago, was not that highly regarded and has really, really put himself on the map over the last couple of seasons. So it's all homegrown guys. And basically the thought process has been, if we can teach these guys in the minor leagues that they're going to have to pitch in difficult environments, that'll prepare them well for when they get to the major leagues. The Rockies have, whether it's been – Intended or not, the Rockies have built a farm system around difficult hitting environment or difficult pitching environments. I should say their low A, their rookie ball affiliate in Grand Junction is a hitter's paradise. Their low A affiliate, Nashville, North Carolina, is one of the most offensive friendly ballparks at that level. Their high A affiliate is in Lancaster, California. That is the most hitter friendly environment in minor league baseball. And their Triple A affiliate is in Albuquerque, which is really similar to Denver in terms of elevation and the air and all that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's been kind of an organization wide approach to building this pitching staff rather than just let's get the best guys in the draft that we can and see how fast we can get them in the major league. <laughs> and uh, this, but the, how does that make the evaluation of how these pitchers are progressing? Um, you know, it's got to make it a little tougher being that they are pitching in these uh, hitter-friendly atmospheres. Yeah, I think so. And I think the the Rockies are always very heavy in leaning on the fact that stats in the minor leagues do not matter. They evaluate players based on set player developmental protocol, whether it's developing a certain pitch, the type of stuff they want to see on a radar gun, all that thing, rather than you went out and you threw six innings and you gave up seven runs. Um, It's been a lot more of an emphasis on actually just developing yourself in terms of what is going to be successful at the major league level. I think it is difficult to evaluate guys when they are constantly pitching in hitter-friendly environments, but the more you do it, I think you get to recognize a little bit more about how to evaluate those guys so the Rockies somewhat have an asset in that they're doing that at so many different stops in the system. Um, But I do think ultimately it's been beneficial because whereas – you know, even five, but especially 10, 15 years ago, people in the Rockies organization used the altitude, the elevation, the thin air, all that stuff as an excuse. I think now they've started looking at it as an asset, as something that if these guys can learn at the low levels of the minor leagues, that these are the types of things that they have to conquer, that attitude, that confidence of being able to pitch in those environments is going to be really beneficial when they make it to Coors Field. And it seems like something that's borne out some pretty good results so far. And, you know, in a certain way that the whole talk about that atmosphere can really get into the other team's head as well. A uh, pitcher could be standing out there and figure, oh, this is going to be a tough game. I'm out here. I got to, you know, uh, so it could work both ways. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's something that the Rockies recognized when they were using it as a crutch to blame things on. That wasn't doing them any good. If you can use it as something, you know, the other teams in Denver have done it to uh, an almost um, cliche degree where if you walk into 
the Pepsi Center to play the Nuggets or the Avalanche, or you walk into Mile High Stadium to play the Broncos, there are signs everywhere that you're a mile above sea level, there's less <laughs> oxygen, blah, 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 because they use it to sort of hype that up against opposing teams. The Rockies for so long used it as this, woe is us, we're never going to be able to sign starting pitching. And I think with the new administration that came in with Jeff Breidich at the end of the 2014 season, they started looking at it as, this is our reality. This is where we have to play our games. This is where we're always going to have to play our games. This is something that we need to be able to use to our advantage. So I think they have started embracing it as something where you look at other teams and they can't figure out how to conquer Coors Field. If the Rockies can, they play there 81 times a year, then you use that to get into somebody's head who's coming in and thinking, all right, we're throwing out, you know, for example, San Diego Padres had a pitcher making his major league debut there the other night. The Rockies crushed him. And the conversation all over Twitter yeah, and elsewhere yeah, is, yeah. why would you send a kid out to make his major league debut at Coors Field? He never had a chance, blah, blah, blah. That's exactly what the Rockies want it to be, because if opposing pitching staffs go into Coors Field thinking that, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when they ultimately don't succeed there. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was something, as, we, as you said, that's been going on for years since they started that uh, – the atmosphere, the atmosphere, and, you know, got to keep the ball down and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I think it got into a lot of people's head over the years. But now uh, let's talk about some of the stars that are on this team. Uh, Arenado is off to another great start. Uh, Charlie Blackman, I think he's leading the National League in home runs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's got 10, I believe, unless he hit one today. And Arenado, I think, hit a couple. Uh, so uh, they're just off to a torrid start. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, they are, they really are. Um, and yeah, Nolan had two today. Charlie Blackman uh, had one yesterday leading off against the Cubs in the first inning. And, you know, what's really interesting about it is those guys have – right now, markedly better numbers on the road than they do at home. Charlie Blackman has nine of his ten home runs away from Coors Field. His OPS is something like 400 points higher on the road than it is at Coors Field this year. There's kind of a strange statistical anomaly, and I'm sure that's going to even itself out before the end of the year, but those guys get knocked so often for, well, they play at Coors Field, so the numbers are inflated, but when you really look at the numbers, Nolan Arnato over the course of his career, the majority of his power numbers are very evenly split between Coors Field and road games. Charlie Blackman has been kind of streaky in that regard. He's been had certain seasons where he has very much benefited from Coors Field, and he's had other seasons where he's been a better player on the road than he's been at Coors Field. Um, but, you know, they're getting contributions now from guys like Trevor Story, their shortstop, who started off so hot a couple of years ago and now has kind of started to figure out how to level himself off. I think he was so streaky for his first two years, but it seems like this season he's been – a bit more consistent. Um, they also got a, a player back at the major league level in David Dahl, who two years ago had an amazing debut, played about 60 games in the major leagues, and then last year was injured off and on all season and never really got a chance to make much of an impact. Um, but he's back and healthy and looks good so far. Um, but really, it all centers around Nolan Arnato and Charlie Blackman. And when those two have it going, um, they are, I mean, as good as any combination of hitters in the major leagues. Uh, the frustrating part for Rockies fans is right now, there hasn't been a whole lot outside of those two guys. And you were kind of relying on Ian Desmond to provide something. He had such a problematic 2017. You hoped he would bounce back to form in 2018. And that has not been the case. He's been really struggling this year. Carlos Gonzalez, who they brought back on a one-year contract, hasn't really been great so far this season. Gerardo Parra got things going a little bit today, but he hasn't been great. So they're looking for somebody to sort of step up and, fill an additional role behind Blackman and Arenado, and somebody eventually is going to have to do that. 
And uh, last year, DJ LeMayu, he had a, a terrific year for uh, uh, for himself. And uh, But we won't see him in this series, understand, because he's on the disabled list. Correct. Yeah, he tweaked his hamstring uh, in Miami in the series opener over the weekend, and so he's out. And um, you know, Lemayhew's an interesting character too because this year uh, he's got really good offensive numbers, and virtually all of his offensive production has come on the road too. Um, but the thing with Lemayhew, he's a really good table setter. He's the type of guy who just gets on base. He kind of lashes singles the other way, um, and he's a he's a pest. He's one of those guys you <laughs> like at the top of the order because he's not an easy out at all. Um, and so the Rockies definitely are hurting and not having him because when you remove, you know, one good hitter from a lineup that's lacking in great hitters, then all of a sudden the way you structure everything else around your couple of really, really good guys it all falls apart. With DJ LeMay, you having been somewhat of a buffer and trying to get, you know, either in front of getting on base in front of Charlie Blackman or Nolan Arnato. Now with him not there, it kind of changes the way everything else is balanced around it. So, um, yeah, you won't see him this weekend, but there's a chance uh, later on uh, when we see the Mets in Denver that there will be uh, a DJ LeMayhew pesky lineup combination <laughs> with Charlie Blackman at the top of the order. Well, speaking of pesky, uh, one pesky guy, to the Mets at least, is Gerardo Parra. Uh, he always seems to kill the Mets. And uh, what kind of start is he off to this season? <laughs> You know, Parra was slow and slow today. He had three hits today in Chicago. He doubled a couple of times. Um, and he's somebody who they really would be very beneficial in getting some help from. He's in the third year of his contract. is the final year of his contract. Um, and just a guy who, you know, he plays very good defense. He was a gold glove finalist last year at his position. Uh, but when he is successful offensively, it seems like it feeds a lot in the rest of the lineup because he's a versatile type of guy. If they need him to hit in the upper parts of the order, he can. But he's also a good guy with a little bit of pop to bat six, seven, eight, somewhere around those spots in the order. Um, so he is uh, a dynamic piece when it's going well. Unfortunately for the Rockies, it just hasn't been going well so far this year. He struck out 14 times against seven walks. Um, at the start of the season, which actually is a little bit better than what his numbers were earlier in the season. Um, but his ability to get on base has not been great over his time in Colorado so far. If he continues what he did today in Chicago, that's huge, and they can really use that. Um, but we just haven't seen one of those bursts of a good streak from him yet. And the matchups uh, subject to change, of course, is Marquez versus uh, Zach Wheeler, Bettis versus Mats, and Freeland versus Syndergaard. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Freeland? Yeah, Kyle Freeland's an interesting guy. He is a Denver native. He went to high school in Denver and then went to college at Evansville University in Indiana. And uh, there are a lot of concerns from other major league organizations as to his health and whether or not he was going to be able to hold up over the course of a, a full professional season when he came out into the draft. And the Rockies were not swayed by that. They took him, I think, with a sixth overall pick in the first round when he came out in 2016, 2015, I believe, for Kyle Freeland. And is just a guy who he's a left-handed pitcher who can throw mid to upper 90s. He's got really, really good stuff. Um, the thing that's been interesting with Freeland is seeing the way he pitches at Coors Field, being somebody who grew up in Denver, having to learn how to be successful as a pitcher for his entire life, getting to the point where he's going to go off and play college ball. He has been really interesting to watch tackle the Coors Field Challenge at the major league level because it seems like he's just got 
that little bit extra in his brain of what he needs to do to tweak himself to be successful at Coors Field. Um, drawing Noah Syndergaard as, as your uh, your opponent on any given night, obviously, is a, a brutal <laughs> thing to ask. But um, it'll be interesting because it's kind of a contrast in styles being a right-hander and a left-hander and the fact that Freeland is a little bit more of a guy who needs to rely on spots rather than pure stuff. Uh, but he's fun to watch. He's really, when he gets in, in good roles, he's as good as anybody on that staff. He almost had a no-hitter last year against the White Sox. Um, he had a game last week at home against the Padres in which he was magnificent over seven innings. So he's been on a good roll the last couple of times out, too. And uh, behind, the, behind the plate, who's doing the majority of the catching these days? And do you have uh, an extra catcher you could loan us? <laughs> You know, <laughs> at this stage, uh, no. There is one in AAA that I think a lot of us are hoping we'll see sooner rather than later, and his name is Tom Murphy. But uh, we haven't seen him yet this season. There's a, uh, a combination right now between Chris Iannetta and Tony Wolters. And Iannetta is the guy who's been getting the, the lion's share of the time. He's played 27 games so far. Wolters only played in 15. But, um, you know, Chris Iannetta, you kind of know what you're getting from him. He was originally drafted and brought to the major leagues by the Rockies and spent, I think, six seasons in Colorado and then he was off in Anaheim and he was in Seattle and he was in Arizona last year and came back as a free agent this season. Um, He's been fine. He started off pretty well at the plate Um, at this stage. I think he's about a 230 hit or something like that. Tony Walters is an interesting situation in that the Rockies got him um, as a Rule 5 selection from the Indians and Cleveland had been using him as an infielder and then converted him to, to catching in his last year in that system. And the Rockies got him in the Rule 5 draft. He made the major league roster and was terrific a couple of seasons ago in his debut year, um, especially defensively. He was really, really good framing pitches, was really good with holding base runners and being able to control the running game. Um, but last year took a huge step back defensively, and his offensive tool is just not that impressive to begin with. He's about a 170 hitter right now, I think. Um, so between those two, they've been handling everything. And, you know, when you're the Rockies, ultimately, if you have a lineup of seven guys that can hit and a catcher that can handle your pitching staff, you're fine with that because, you know, a Coors Field more often than not, that's going to be able to pick up the slack. The problem has been nobody else is hitting in the order. And when you get to these catcher spots over the last couple of weeks for the Rockies, that's been like a black hole. So they do have one catching prospect in AAA that they've been high on for a while, a kid named Tom Murphy. who's actually a New York guy. He's a Buffalo native and went to uh, University of Buffalo and played there. Um, he's started off scorching hot at AAA. So I would imagine at some point relatively soon we'll get to see him again. Um, but as of right now, those are the two, Ionetta and Walters. Uh, how did we miss this guy? Uh, <laughs> we, we have the same situation. We've got uh, – our start to start well, of course, Travis Darno has a uh, Tommy John surgery, so he's out. And uh, Kevin Plawecki the next day got hit in the hand and broke uh, a bone in his hand, so he's out. And we're using a double A catcher and uh, Jose Lobaton that was in triple uh, A that we brought up, but um, it, it's the same situation. It's a black hole once you get to that part of the lineup. Yeah. And conventional wisdom is always there's no, you can never have too much pitching, but lately it seems like you can never have too much catching. Yeah, which is strange. yeah, yeah. It's it's a very strange situation, and um, you know, uh, Bud Black has gone out there now, and he's really changed the whole. <laughs> Uh, dynamic of that uh, team and everything, the whole atmosphere. Talk about a little bit about the job that Bud Black's done with this team. 
Yeah, Bud Black has been fantastic. I think he was really the addition that the Rockies needed as somebody who knew what it took to be successful as a major league pitcher, um, but really also somebody who knew how to manage the mindset of major league pitchers. That's not anything the Rockies have really had before in terms of a manager who could do that. They've had position coaches, they've had pitching coaches in the past that are somewhat successful in that regard, being able to, you know, kind of keep guys' heads in the game. Um, but where a manager makes things different is in the ability to, to really handle a bullpen. And that's one thing that Bud Black has brought that's been sorely needed for the Rockies over the last several years, especially in franchise history. They just have not really had a good tactician. And I think Walt Weiss was probably the one who struggled most with that. And of course, had never been a major league manager before the Rockies hired him. But, you know, even Clint Hurdle, back before Clint Hurdle went to the to the Pirates when he was the Rockies manager, really was not a, a tactical genius of any kind. Bud Black has been able to come in and I think really figure out a way to best utilize the guys that they have on the pitching staff, which is a, a huge thing for the Rockies because you're so often going to burn out pitchers, starters, relievers more quickly than you will anywhere else. Um, But in addition to that, he's also been pretty receptive to the way he constructs his lineup. The Rockies yesterday had Ian Desmond leading off in Chicago, which is something that, you know, I think this time, even a couple of years ago, Bud Black probably would not have done. But looking at the numbers with how successful Ian Desmond had been against left-handed pitching, he decided to go that route. And that's, I think it's a good thing because when you have somebody who is receptive to updating his style and staying with, you know, whether it's learning some sabermetric stuff or at least being able to lean on the success of a certain player in given situations by his stats, um, that's a good thing, uh, and the Rockies haven't really had that before. Um, and Bud Black's also just a very positive, very calm, very reassuring kind of guy. I've met him a couple of times, and he's just somebody who, when you're in his presence, you feel like he's in control of the situation, and that certainly was not the case with the previous staff in Denver. So that's been a, a really good change for the Rockies, too. And and what's happened to uh, Carlos Gonzalez? I mean, a couple of years ago, this guy was like, all-star everybody wanted him uh and now he seemed to have uh, really slipped yeah and it's been very strange to watch over the last couple of years because cargo was last year for the first four months of the season was terrible and then through the latter part of july and into august and into september it was just carlos gonzalez he was as good as you'd ever seen and it kind of was strange because it was initially pinned on a, a mechanical switch in which he was had said through the, the first few months of the season that he had been holding the bat in a way that previously in his career he had also done and just didn't really click in his head that it was something that he needed to change and so when he did that then everything took off again and that's all well and good but at the same time it's kind of frustrating in that that was all it took and then all of a sudden he's back to being that guy after struggling for so much of the year um, but I'm not sure really what the the situation is with him this season. It's been strange watching him go up and struggle at the plate because the way that it's looked is so similar to last year, but it doesn't seem like it's the same adjustment that needs to be made like the one that he made last year. Um, so I don't know if it's just a case of, you know, Cardinals 31 years old, I think he turned 32 this year, and, you know, he's a guy who's played a lot of innings over the course of his major league career and has had a good amount of injuries as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just something where he's really 
I don't want to say breaking down, but maybe wearing down throughout his career. Right. Um, or if it's, you know, something that could be just mechanical at this stage. But it's been tough to watch because he really was a franchise luminary for so long. And over the last two years, this has been anything but that. Yeah, it, it really is a shame. Like you said, he was uh, the guy. He was the man out there. And uh, all of a sudden now you don't hear anything, but, you know. Uh, let, let's hope he can uh, straighten it out after he leaves New York because we don't, <laughs> we don't want him to do too good this weekend. So, <laughs> so uh, this has been great, Tyler. I want to thank you for coming on. Tell the people uh, where they can find the podcast. Yes, absolutely. We are uh, we're on kind of everywhere you can find your, your podcast, Apple and Google Play and the Stitcher app and all that type of stuff. And we're also on Twitter, and we probably tweet way too much, and we're at Purple <laughs> Dino Cast on there. And, uh, but, yeah, we have some fun. We're, we're very good at being nihilistic as Rockies fans. So uh, if you like dark gallows humor about how everything is terrible, we're your guy. <laughs> uh, that's great. And uh, good luck to the Rockies starting Monday. Absolutely. And thanks again for coming on, and uh, let's talk again. Absolutely. That sounds great, Gary. Thank you. Okay. I'll be back right after this. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line leave us a comment or a voicemail question anything at all call that number 516-619-6341 or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen and that's a speak pipe and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com the facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings and the twitter handle is at metsmusings1 and uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show check out our patreon page check out the campaign at patreon.com slash metsmusings And I'm back, and uh, I want to thank uh, once again Tyler Moore. He was a great guest, really had a lot of knowledge, and, and uh, I really had a lot of fun talking to him, as you can tell. So uh, thanks so much, Tyler, and I uh, hope we get to talk to you again in the future. And uh, now it's time to go down <coughs> on the farm. All right, last night, Las Vegas beat Sacramento 6-5. The 51s are at 11 and 16. Not the best record, and they're struggling, but uh, got a couple of hot players there. We'll talk about one in particular in a second. Uh, Akron defeated Binghamton 5 to 2. The Rumble Ponies are 12 and 11 on the 2018 season. Columbia uh, beat Lexington 9 to 1 last night. And Columbia is at 13 and 13. They got a pretty good little team there. I like to watch them on the MILB once in a while. And St. Lucie dropped a uh, a game to Charlotte, 13-3. to 
kind of a blowout there for St. Lucie. St. Lucie is at 11-14 and 14 on the young season. Gavin Ciccini, playing for AAA Las Vegas, was named the MLB Pipeline second baseman of the week after hitting 478 with three doubles, one triple, one home run, and four RBI in five games last week. Overall, he is hitting 347 in 21 games, and that's with 75 bats. Uh, Caccini's 24, spent his offseason working on his swing and practicing new positions in an effort to um, make himself more valuable to the Major League team. The Eastern League announced today that Binghamton Rumble Ponies first baseman Peter Alonzo has been named Player of the Month for April. Alonzo 23-408 average with seven home runs and 19 RBI in the month of April. He led the league in batting average, hits, extra base hits, total bases, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. Alonzo finished the month by homering in four of his last five games. And as I said earlier when we mentioned his name, he was a guest on uh, Mets Musings number 304. So if you want to go check it out, uh, Peter Alonzo, hear what he had to say about his career and what he did in the offseason, go check it out, episode number 304. Mets third base prospect David Thompson suffered a hairline fracture in his left hand after being hit by a pitch on Sunday while playing for Vegas. Thompson, who was placed on a disabled this Monday, is likely facing a recovery of four to six weeks, Las Vegas manager Tony DeFrancesco said. The 24-year-old Thompson is hitting 258 with one home run and five doubles in 22 games this season for Las Vegas. And Mets left-handed pitcher Anthony Kay, the team's first-round pick in 2016, is pitching well in his first exposure to professional baseball after missing the first two years due to Tommy John's surgery. Kay, who grew up on Long Island, had been rehabbing the past few years since undergoing the Tommy John surgery in October of 2016, but has made four starts. With low A Columbia this year going 1-1 one one with a 2.70 ERA and 18 strikeouts in 20 innings. Columbia manager Pedro Lopez said he and the rest of the coaches are working with Kay on his fastball command, but said he was impressed with Kay's ability to throw the secondary pitches. The main thing is that he's healthy and he's throwing the ball well, Lopez said. It's good to see him out there competing. And finally, Columbia Fireflies first baseman Jeremy Vasquez, after slugging 360 with five extra base hits, three doubles, a triple, and a home run, four RBI, five runs scored, and two weeks, two walks in seven games for the week of April 23rd to the 29th, the South Atlantic League named Va- Vasquez its player of the week, the SAL announced. In addition, Vasquez, the New York Mets' 28th round pick of the 2017 MLB first year, player draft has reached base in all 23 starts this season, which is a Fireflies record. So congratulations to uh, all of those uh, minor leaguers that are off to great start. Ciccini, Alonzo, Vasquez, uh, and Anthony Kay. And uh, David Thompson, get well soon. Get that hand healed up, uh, another hand thing uh, similar to uh, Kevin Ploiecki. Um, so get that healed up, and uh, we'll see you soon. And hopefully uh, 
may even see you in September with the big club. Three with Colorado. Good team. They're playing a lot better. Got to watch them. They can hit, baby. Uh, and then the Mets go on the road to Cincinnati and Philadelphia. Three in Cincinnati. And we'll be back next week to talk about the uh, Philadelphia series. Hopefully I can get my friend Rich Baxter on here to tell us a little bit about the Phillies. Even though we've seen them already, it's good to get some in-depth info on the team. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week. So, you know, what can I say? They're struggling, but we got to keep the faith stay optimistic. And as always, let's go on.